Well, amen. You know, within the heart of most people is the desire for freedom, isn't it? The desire to be free. Webster defines freedom as the quality or state of being free. Pretty simple definition when you think about it. When I think about freedom, I think of the act of being free from something or someone holding a person captive. I think about um, freedom that is granted or received from an oppressive government or a person that has been enslaved by a slave owner being set free or people seeking religious freedom or, or a, a woman or a man being freed from an abusive relationship. People want to experience freedom. That is the cry of the captive's heart. Patrick Henry once said, Give me liberty or give me death. Freedom and liberty is what we all want to experience. It is precious to us as Americans, isn't it? On March 23rd, 1775, at St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia, delegates gathered for the Virginia Convention. And the issue was whether or not Virginia should join the other colonies in rebellion against England. The general mood of the delegates was to find a pathway to peace with England. George Washington and Thomas Jefferson were in attendance on this day. Eyewitnesses said that when 39-year-old lawyer Patrick Henry stood to speak, What he said sounded more like a sermon than it did a speech. At one point, Henry said, Suffer not yourselves to be betrayed with a kiss. But his final words brought the delegation to their feet in support. He said, If we wish to be free, we must fight. An appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left us. Is life so dear or peace so sweet? as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Those passionate words caused the other delegates to stand up and in unison cry out, give me liberty or give me death. This morning, we're going to be looking at what true freedom is. Freedom is the opposite of being bound. Freedom is the opposite of living in bondage. When we think about this week, as we think about um, the celebrations that happen around July the 4th, we think about our freedom that we have as Americans. And there's nothing more precious that we have in this room than the freedom to worship. The freedom that we are able to experience within this great country. I have traveled the world. And I will tell you, this is the greatest country in all the world. It is. By far the greatest country in all the world. We have freedoms here that no one else in this world really experience. But I want you to know this morning that there is a greater freedom that, that a person can have than the freedom that we enjoy as Americans. It is a freedom that comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to be looking at what true freedom is. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Galatians chapter 5. 
verses 1 through 15 is what we're going to read together, but really just going to focus in on the first couple of verses. But Galatians chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read together through verse 15. This is what God's Word says. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For, though, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. That if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. Father, as we, as we turn to your word and as we look at your word, as we look at what freedom is all about, Father, ultimate freedom, Lord, is found in you. It's not found in this world. It's not found in the people of this world. It is found in you. And so I pray this morning, Lord, as we walk through this passage together and as we walk through this sermon together, Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, that if there is someone here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, that today will be the day that they place their faith and trust in you. Father, I pray if there's someone in this room this morning that still is being enslaved to sin, still being held captive by sin, that today you will set them free. Father, we love you, and we love that we have the freedoms that we have here in America, the freedom to worship, the freedom to sing, the freedom just to go out and about. But, Father, that freedom pales in comparison to the freedom that we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, your word makes it clear that our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is with you. And we thank you, Father, that we are kingdom citizens first. And then we are citizens of this country. Lord, we love you and we thank you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Our first point this morning is this, the declaration of freedom. The declaration of freedom. In verse 1, the first part of that that verse says, For freedom Christ has set us free. I love that passage. For freedom Christ has set us free. What is it that this church has been set free from? The bondage of sin, absolutely. But they were also set free from legalism. They were set free from the teaching and from the law that was a yoke that was around their neck. 
Judaizers had infiltrated this young Gentile church. Paul planted the church, but after he moved on to plant other churches, these These men infiltrated the church, and Judaizers were a group of Jews that taught a combination of God's grace plus human effort were necessary for salvation. They taught that in order for a Christian to truly be right with God, they must conform to the Mosaic law. Circumcision especially was promoted as necessary for salvation by these men. They taught that Gentiles had to become Jews first and then they can convert and become Christians. They taught that Christ was not enough. How dangerous is that? How dangerous is it for a message to be preached where, where the message teaches that you must have this plus Christ in order to accept salvation. Anytime there is a message preached other than Christ or a message preached that states that Christ is not enough, then you can be certain that that is a message straight from the pits of hell. You can be certain of that. But every single day and every single week, there are messages being preached where it is being preached that you must do this in order to experience this. Understand, it's Christ plus nothing that equals salvation. It's great by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's not by works. It's not by the law. It's by grace that we have been saved through faith. When I think about this young Gentile church, I think of a witnessing encounter that I had when I was in college. I, I went to Hardin-Simmons University out in Abilene. I think there's one other person in this room that went to Hardin-Simmons. Um, but, but oftentimes, instead of studying in my, my dorm or studying in the library, I would go out to the park um, to study. And there was one park that I would go to frequently, and, and there was a building um, that was just connect. I mean, literally across the street from the park, and it had inscribed above it, House of Yahweh. And, and the, the, the first couple of years that I was at the school, I would always look at that and just kind of be, um, try to wonder what kind of place is that? Is that a Jewish synagogue? Is it a Christian church? What is it? And I believe it was my senior year. This was obviously before Google, and so I couldn't just go online and say, what is the house of Yahweh? If you were to go and, and, and do a Google search about what the house, house of Yahweh is today, you'd recognize that it's a cult, that it made national news because of its practices and its beliefs. But um, I, I, um, when I was a senior, I believe, I finally got up the gusto to go over and try to figure out a little bit more about the house of Yahweh. And I walked across the street, and there was a gentleman that was outside, and we began to talk. And I just asked him, you know, just a few questions. Can you tell me a little bit about the house of Yahweh? And, and you know, he was quick to share. And one thing that he shared was that... Um, that they have basically, you know, he said that we have um, taken the Bible and we have rewritten it. Any place that there is a, a name for God ascribed, um, we have placed in that spot 
Yahweh. So everywhere there is Elohim or, um, or, 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 or Jehovah, anywhere in the Bible where there is a name for God, they have taken that name and ascribed Yahweh. In the New Testament, it would be Yahshua. And so whenever I, he began to share that with me, I began to think, well, there's something a little bit fishy about this place. And so I began to dig a little bit more and began to have a conversation with this guy. And one of the things that he shared with me is that they... Um, they adhere and must follow all of the Mosaic law, all 613 of the laws in, 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 in the Torah they follow. And, and so that really got my spotty senses going and because I really wanted to know a little bit more about that. And because I, I, you know, being a Bible student that I was and theology student, I knew enough about the Old Testament law to know how hard it is to obey every aspect of that law. And he did make it clear that not to have followed the law meant eternal separation from God and hell. And so this gentleman, um, as we were talking, he was smoking a cigarette. Okay, and 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 so as he's smoking that cigarette, I remember that I began to ask him about that. You know, I I recognize that the Old Testament law demands, um, um, you know, perfection. It demands authentic worship. It demands devotion, and it also demands um, rigorous um, bodily. Um, holiness as well. And so as we began to talk, when I asked him about the cigarette, and he, he, he told me, he said, well, I'm not perfect. And man, I just really pounced on that because I said, okay, you're not perfect. I recognize that. But doesn't your law require perfection from you? And, and the gentleman said, well, you know, he kind of just kind of beat around the bush as I began to share with him. I remember his response. He said he was not perfect. Then I, I said, but the law requires perfection of you, doesn't it? Then I began to share with him about the Lord Jesus Christ. I shared with him passage after passage about God's love and how, how one can attain eternal life. And, and I know that we talked for an hour or more on that day, but in the end, he did not accept Christ, but I believe that a seed was planted, and I pray that even to this day that that man accepted to Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. When I think about the house of Yahweh, I think about this Galatian church because what the demands of these Judaizers did with this Galatian church is they had told the people that, that yes, it is Jesus, but it's also this other things that you must do before you can receive eternal life. And that is dangerous as we have already looked at. These false teachers taught that, um, that, that the Mosaic law was necessary for one to enter into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. One thing that they were teaching was that in order to be a Christian, you had to be circumcised. Circumcision was a mark that every child would receive when they were just, or every male child would receive whenever they were a baby. It was a symbol of God's covenant with Abraham and the Israelites. There was much debate that was going on in this early church about whether circumcision was necessary or not necessary. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, there was a, a conference that was held. Um, all the, 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 the Christian leaders and the apostles, they came together and they discussed this issue of circumcision. And Peter stood up in that room and he boldly proclaimed these words. In Acts chapter 15, verses 6 to 11, he said, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by 
by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us, them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. You know, the mark of a believer is not something that is done to a body, person's body, something done or not done to a person's body. The mark of a true believer is the Holy Spirit. And that is what Peter was communicating. And he said that anything other than that was um, any other teaching other than the truth of grace through Jesus Christ was, was just like teaching in the Old Testament. It was, it was a yoke that was placed around the people's neck. That, was, that is what the law had become. It had become a yoke around the people's neck. It had become this heavy yoke that had been placed among the people, a yoke that could not be carried and fulfilled under one's own strength and power. The law, the law was unachievable. No one had ever uh, achieved um, obedience to the law completely outside of Jesus Christ. We all know what the law was, don't we? The law was full of don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. It was a full over and over of don't do's. And even whenever there were the do's, do this or do that, those, those, those teachings were so meticulous that it was hard for the people to comprehend and follow every aspect of the law to a T. It was burdensome. It was a heavy weight and a heavy yoke. And these Judaizers, they entered into this church, they began to teach these things to those people. When Jesus came, he came to provide a way for you and I to gain access to God the Father without having to live up under the heavy weight of the law. He came to provide salvation through grace alone and faith alone. He came to give us freedom. He came to set us free from the law of sin and death. He came to give us life, eternal life. That is freedom. That is true freedom. That is the freedom that we are able to share with every brother and sister in Christ around this world, whether they are living under an oppressive um, ruler or not. We can share, if they are brothers and sisters in Christ, we can share our ultimate freedom with them and our freedom, that being our eternal citizenship freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice our second point. Notice um, this, defense of freedom. Notice what Paul instructs this church to do. He instructs them to stand firm, to stand upon the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 1 again, we read, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know, sometimes it's hard to stand firm, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to stand up against the attacks of the enemy. Here is the reality. Every single day, our Christian freedoms are under attack, aren't they? They are under attack sometimes by those within the church and other times by those outside of the church. Several years ago, um, Pierce Morgan, who used to be a, a CNN analyst, took the place of Larry King. He was interviewing um, Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren. And this is how this interview um, came across. 
Pierce said this. He said, my point to you about gay rights, for example, is it's time for an amendment to the Bible, he said. Which Rick Warren said, no, there is not a chance of that happening. What I believe is flawed is human opinion because it constantly changes, said Warren. In fact, we do it every eight years in America. We have a change in opinion. What was hot is now not. And I willingly admit that I base my worldview on the Bible, which I believe is true and truth, Warren said. My definition of truth is if it's new, it's not true. If it was true a thousand years ago, it'll be true a thousand years from today. Opinions change, but truth doesn't, he said, which Morgan um, went and said, well, I guess we're just going to have to disagree on that. I love the fact that, um, you know, Warren boldly proclaim that God's word doesn't change. But what has happened in our world today? We've got so many people within the church and outside the church that are trying to get us to compromise God's word, compromise the truth of God's word by getting us to change God's word, to make God's word say what we believe God's word or what they believe God's word should say. Here's the problem. As I said, this is something that has happened outside of the church, but is also things that are happening within the church today. Denomination after denomination and church after church are changing their opinion on topics such as gay rights, abortion, divorce, redefining marriage, um, redefining human sexuality and gender roles. They're amending their Bibles is what they're doing. They're taking out from their Bibles what they do not like, God's word cannot be amended. Churches may pick and choose what they want to teach and what they want to believe, but when it comes to God's word, God's word never changes. God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and it will never change despite what men may do, despite the fact that, 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 that men may take God's word and say, I don't like that page of the Bible, and so they'll rip it out, and they'll go to the next thing. I don't like that verse, and so they'll cut out that verse there. They'll be like, I don't like the gospel of John at all, so I'm just going to pull out the entire gospel of John. They can do whatever they want and try to alter God's word however they want, but God's word is still going to be the same. A truth when it was written and when it was spoken by Jesus, is the same truth as it is today. Paul instructs the Galatians and us to stand firm, to stand against the attacks, to stand against those saying we are not tolerant, to stand against and to stand up. We need to get planted and be prepared when those fiery darts start coming our way as we looked at last week. However, we can't just take a defensive stand, but we also must correct untruth with truth. When Paul planted the church and discipled the church, when he walked away from that church, that church was in a really, really good place. But then the Judaizers came in, and they began to alter the teachings of Paul and the teachings of the apostles and the teachings of the disciples. If you and I are not firmly planted, then we might give in just as the Galatians did some 2,000 years ago. In verse 7, within our focal passage, Paul said this. He said, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? May it not be said of us that we once were running well. 
but that we got entangled in the trap of legalism or the trap of false doctrine or we got trapped up in the trap of compromise. May it not be said of us that we were running well at one time and then we fell short of the finish line. Let's run this race until we cross that finish line. And we all know that that finish line represents heaven. And that's what all of us are longing for, isn't it? Man, we're longing for that day when we cross that finish line and we are in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not just run well for a season, but let's run well for all of our lives. Notice our final point this morning is this. Rewards of freedom. Again, when I think about freedom and bondage within God's word, you know, I'm reminded of the story of the Israelites being enslaved for some 400 years in Egypt. Within the closing verses of Genesis, we read of how the Lord brought his chosen from a land experiencing extreme drought and extreme um, famine and brought them into the land of Egypt to find shelter. We all know the story. Joseph was one of Jacob's 12 sons. Number 11, to be exact. Joseph was the, was the most loved of Jacob's sons. You know, remember what, what Jacob did? Gave Joseph the coat of many colors. When Joseph reported having dreams of his brothers um, bowing down before him, they became enraged, didn't they? And so they sold him, sold him to a group of traveling Ishmaelites who would ultimately sell him to Egypt. And he would be sold to Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. Joseph would rise to prominence within the home of Potiphar until Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. And Joseph ran from that seduction. And, and quickly, um, Potiphar's wife lied about the encounter. And so Joseph was thrown into prison. While Joseph was in prison, he, he still rose to a place of prominence within that prison. And he was given a place of leadership. And he was also, um, the hand of God was on him. And he received great favor from the Lord. He was able to interpret dreams of two other prisoners. And those prisoners' dreams as they were interpreted, came true. And later on, Pharaoh got word of Joseph, how he was able to interpret dreams. All of the magicians and all the religious leaders of of Egypt were unable to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh summoned Joseph. Joseph comes before Pharaoh and, and is able to interpret the dreams. You remember the two dreams? One dream represented seven years of abundance within the land of Egypt, and the other represented seven years of famine within the land of Egypt. And as a result of Pharaoh rightly interpreting those dreams, he was placed second in command only to Pharaoh. No one else was above him other than Pharaoh. He had free reign over the land. And he was given the tremendous responsibility of, of stockpiling during the seven years of abundance so that he could then distribute during the seven years of famine. The seven years of plenty allowed Egypt to stockpile much, and that stockpile put them in a position to grow stronger and more powerful. Their abundance would allow them to pretty much buy all of the land, acquire all of the livestock, and enslave most of the people. Incredible story of dominance when you think about it. The famine would reach Joseph's family. 
They would ultimately lead, that would ultimately lead to a beautiful reunion between Jacob and Joseph and the rest of his family. It is a picture of grace and love and forgiveness because Joseph would forgive his rotten brothers who sold him into slavery, indicating that, they, that what they meant for evil, what they meant for bad, what did God mean it for? He meant it for good, didn't he? This reunion would give the Israelites safe haven for a season within the land of Egypt. They would be fruitful and increase in number while in Egypt, but they would also be enslaved in Egypt. In Exodus 1.8 we read, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Under the leadership of other pharaohs and the subsequent leadership of those pharaohs. The Israelites would be enslaved for 400 years. For 400 years, they would live in bondage, not knowing what it meant to be free, not knowing what it meant to not have someone bark orders at them or whip them with a whip if they got out of hand. Here is the thing. God created us to be free. He created us to enjoy him and to enjoy his creation. But sin brought us into bondage. Sin enslaved us. Just like the Israelites were enslaved for 400 years under Pharaoh's leadership, so does sin bring all men into bondage. However, there is good news. Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior, came to this earth to provide a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and to be released from that sin that was holding us captive and holding us in bondage. What a glorious day it was when the Lord raised up Moses to be Israel's leader and their deliverer. What a glorious day it was when the Lord Jesus Christ left heaven full of all of its glory and came and dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, died on that cross, was victorious over death three days later. What a glorious day it was whenever Jesus took our sin upon himself, upon that cross, and died for our sins. He was held in bondage and captive. All of our sins nailed him to that cross. But when Jesus Christ died on that cross and when he was victorious over death, he provided a way for every single one of us to be released from that bondage. Here's the reality. Sometimes people choose bondage over freedom, don't they? The Israelites soon, after they were given their freedom, after they were delivered from Pharaoh's captivity, what did they do? They complained, didn't they? And they wanted to return back to Egypt because they found more security being bound than they found in their independence with, with Moses as their leader. You know, I've heard many times of a freed man or a freed woman committing a crime soon after they were released from prison because they couldn't handle their independence on the outside. They couldn't handle their freedom. And so they commit this crime and they go back to being enslaved within that prison system. Some people choose sin 
over Jesus because sin is all they have ever known and the only sure thing in their life. I want you to know this morning there is more to life than bondage. Freedom awaits anyone in this room that is willing to let go of that which is holding you captive and give your life over to Jesus Christ. Are you in bondage this morning? Is sin holding you captive? If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can be certain that your sin is holding you captive. But I want you to know this morning, there's good news. There's good news, and that is that Jesus Christ came to provide the free gift of salvation for those that repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and cry out to him to be their Lord and Savior. If you do that this morning, then I want you to know right now, those right now you are shackled to your sin. But at the moment that you give your life over to Jesus Christ, you are no longer shackled. You are set free and you are giving a new life in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That's what Jesus does. He takes our old life, our old sinful, ratty, disgusting life. And he gives us a brand new life when, I, when we place our faith and trust in him. He releases us from that bondage. You may be here this morning and you are living still in bondage to sin. Let me challenge you to let go and to let God. Let go of those, that sin nature and let God cleanse you and purify you and give you a new life. I also recognize that, yes, we are free in Christ. Yes, we have been set free from the law of sin and death. But, you know, even as believers, so sometimes there are sin natures that still hold us captive, aren't there? You know, you may be in this room this morning, and there's a sin nature. You're a believer in Jesus Christ, but there is a sin nature of yours that is still holding you captive. It may be an alcohol addiction, a drug addiction, a sexual addiction. It may be that you are addicted to lying or you have an eating disorder or, or a number of different things that you are still allowing Satan to have rulership in your life over. If that is you this morning, please know that you can be set free of all of those things. Through Jesus Christ, you can be set free from those things. If you're here this morning, you may be struggling in one of those particular areas. I want you to know that I will be here at the front, and I would love to share with you more about how you can be released from the bondage of that sin. I may not be able to help you, but I will do everything I can to get you the proper help to help you be delivered from that. You may be here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and today is the day. Man, make today today the day. Make today be the day that you experience ultimate freedom in Christ by surrendering your life over to him. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And after I say amen, I'm going to be standing here at the front. And if there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you to come. Let's stand together, and I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And once again, when I say amen, you come. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. Father,
I come before you this morning admitting, Lord, that, that I have been set free. Man, I, you have forgiven me from my sins. But, Lord, there's still sin natures that I have, Father, that, that, that I still run to. And, Father, I pray that you will even help me be released from those sin natures. There may be others in this room, Lord Jesus, that are struggling in particular areas. Father, I think about my friend Manny this morning who's up in North Dakota. Father, I know that he has surrendered his life over to you. I know that he has trusted you as his Lord and Savior. At least he's told me that. And he believes that he has done that. But Father, I also know that there is an addiction, Lord, to drugs that he still battles with every single day. And Father, there may be others in this room that are believers but there is an addiction or a battle that just is holding them captive still. They've tried to give it up. Father, they've tried on their own to give it up. But Father, I don't know if they've turned to you and asked you to be their helper to give that up. And Lord, only they and you know that. And so I pray, Father, that if there's a sin nature within any of us in this room that we haven't given over to you, that you will help us, Lord Jesus, to do that this morning. So, Father, as we enter into this time of invitation, if there is someone that doesn't know you, Father, I pray that they'll come to know you as their Lord and Savior today. Lord, if there's someone here this morning, Father, that is struggling, that needs to just come to this altar and kneel and and ask for strength or to where they're at just to sit down and ask for strength, Lord, or maybe they need to come and talk with me or another man or woman in this church, Lord, Father, during this time of invitation, may that happen. Father, we love you and we thank you and just ask that you move now during this time of invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make, you come now. Our instruments are just going to play for just a moment. And I'm going to ask everyone to bow their head and close their eyes. Let's pray during this time. And as you pray, if there's a decision you need to make, and I can help you with that decision, you come. You come, I'd love to share with you how you can trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'd love to share with you how you can become a member of this church. I'd love to share with you and help you if there's a particular sin nature that you're holding on to that you need help with. I'd love to help you in any way that I can. So during this time of invitation, you come, you come.